Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew 22, verse 36. Last week, uh, we talked about the wisdom of investing in God. This week, we're going to talk about the wisdom of investing in yourself. And uh, I think you're going to learn some things. And, and even if uh, portions of this message today is, is not for you, perhaps it gives you something that you can share with, with someone else. So don't just tune me out. Uh, listen, and I believe that uh, you'll be stronger for hearing. Matthew 22, beginning with verse 36, and we're going to touch on a scripture that we looked at last week. Verse 36, no need to set up the context. The scribe said to Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now Mark 12, 30 and Luke 10 and 27 record an additional statement. And here's the deal with with Scripture. John said when he finished the book of John that if everything Jesus said and done was recorded in the books, there wouldn't be enough room in the entire world to fill the volumes that could be written. So God in his wisdom was very selective and careful about what he instructed the writers of Scriptures to record. Secondly, Jesus often preached the same message in a different place. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes preach as many as four messages on a Sunday. And even though it's the same text, uh, somehow each message comes out a little bit differently. And uh, this was the reality with Jesus. There are different people in the room and they need a, a different set of facts or maybe certain truths you need to uh, stand on or hang, on, hang around a little longer than other truths. So each message comes out a little bit differently. So we find in Mark and Luke, they added something to this statement made by our Lord. They said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, but also with all your what? Strength, strength, strength. God must be our first priority. And at first he deals with the intangibles of heart, mind, and soul. But in these other gospels, it was necessary for the writers to point out that we must also worship him with our physical strengths. We're not just to worship him, uh, again, with the intangibles, but also with the tangibles, the palpable, the, the touchable, the concrete things in our lives. In verse 38, he says, This is the great and first commandment. But like riding a bike, if you don't put both feet into a pedal, you're not going to get very far. So he said, here's the first commandment. So they are, you're putting one foot on a pedal. But then he goes on and he said, there's also a second. And then watch what he says here. He says, and a second is like it. Meaning the second may be second in terms of priority, but not in terms of significance and importance. Again, I have to put my first foot on a pedal before I put my second foot on a pedal, but that second foot is equally important if I'm going to be able to pedal to my destination. Does that make sense to everybody? 
And what Jesus is about to do, he's about to take all 613 commandments that Moses wrote in the law and single or, or summarize them into simply to Jesus has a way of simplifying life. And sometimes, you know, in my head, I get, you know, confused and truth gets, you know, knotted up into a huge ball. But when I hear from God, it has a way of just unraveling all the complicated things and making life simple. And what Jesus does here, again, he takes all the, the commandments and he makes life simple for his followers. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your what? Neighbor. Many of you are saying, yeah, 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 I, I heard that before. Yeah, love God and the people around me. Uh, I, I got that. But the question here is, did you really get that? Let's look at this a little more closely and make sure you're hearing a crucial part of the master's statement. He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then he says, you shall love your neighbor as, let's say as, so you're to love in a certain way or as you do something else. You love your neighbor, what? As yourself. Jesus is teaching that if you do not first have a healthy relationship with yourself, you're not going to have healthy relationships with others. If you don't have a right attitude toward yourself, you're not going to have a right attitude towards others. And then in verse 40, he sums it up. He says, and these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. So everything God has ever said in the history of the world, according to our master Jesus, fits neatly into these two commandments. But back to the analogy of the bicycle. If I, as your pastor, only instruct you and teach you to love God, how many know you should love God? Yeah. You know, that's, the, that's the first step. That, that, that is the, the single priority, uh, uh, most important priority of our life. But just like, how many of you ever tried to ride a bicycle with one leg? How, how easy is that? Yeah, unless you're going downhill, and many of you are going downhill, by the way, trying to love God, but not learning the other half here. The only way you can pedal is if you have two feet getting it done. So with the first commandment, love God, please love God, we must also embrace the second truth or the second commandment. Yes, we give first to God. But if we're going to make it anywhere in life, we secondly need to give to ourselves. And only after we give to ourselves can I be of any value to others. Case in point, if I'm angry, upset, exhausted from the day, how great a parent am I going to be? The better condition I am as a person and individual, the better parent I can be. How many of you notice when you fly an airplane and they give you that thing you ignore uh, at the beginning of the flight and they, they put up the cords and everything? But one of the things I do remember about, you know, the, the, the spiel they give every trip is they say, you know, in, in the case of an emergency and the, and the oxygen mask come down, first put the mask on you and then put it on the person next to you. Now, it's not because the airline wants you to be selfish. The issue is if you're turning blue in the face and your head is spinning, you're not going to see clearly to put the mask on anyone else. So it's not a matter of selfishness. Jesus is not talking about selfish love. 
Jesus just understands how things function and how they operate. And if you don't first take care of yourself, you will not have to take care of others. If I'm too exhausted and beat down, you know, from my Monday to Saturday, I'm not going to be much help on a Sunday. So it behooves me to get myself together, my head together, my prayers together. You hear what I'm saying? In order to be able to serve you. So actually, it's not selfishness. Again, I'm speaking of. I'm just talking about wisdom. Proverbs 6 and 6. And we're going to take a hard right turn here. But we began talking about our finances last week. And the subject is so involved, I'm probably not going to be able to finish until uh, Wednesday. In fact, I'm probably not going to finish on Wednesday. I'll probably just stop on Wednesday. But on Wednesday, I'm going to cover the things we did not cover here today. But I want you to, again, just as, you know, when, when he spoke of loving the Lord thy God, and, and we quoted that as it related to giving, the next commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Just as we applied the first to giving, we need to apply the second. And with that lens, now let's look at Proverbs 6 and verse 6. Solomon says by the Holy Spirit, go to. Here's something I learned. Everything in life is not just going to come to you. Everything in life is not just going to be handed to you. Where, what, and who you choose to go to when you get stuck may be the thing that determines whether or not you get out. He says, go to the end. Now, what we're about to learn is not at all complicated. It's very simple, but for some of us, somehow it's hard to do. In fact, God's kind of mocking us a little bit. He's being gracious in his doing, but he's choosing a creature with a brain that, whose size is less than that of a tic-tac to instruct people who have brains a thousand times the size. So he's saying, you smart people, I need you to leave all the other smart people and go to the ant. And then God starts calling names. And when the kindest being in the universe starts calling you names, you know that he's a little upset and a little bothered by the things you're doing. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Sluggard is a sophisticated and pretty way of saying lazy pig. A sluggard in Proverbs, and by the way, don't look at your neighbor and say, well, you know, such such need to be here today because that message is just for her. <laughs> All of us have areas in our lives that there's a little bit of laziness. Whether it's that, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that health, uh, what do you call it, health club deal you paid for that you're not attending, you know, that, there's a, that machine, you know, that's sitting on the floor and you spent that money for it. There's always an area. So don't get all, you know, sedity and not hear me. There's always room for improvement in our lives. And I'm listening as I talk to you. So in Proverbs, a sluggard is simply a person whose only commitment is to his or her leisure and comfort. Never faces things, finishes things, just kind of flies by the seat of his or her pants. And, you know, just kind of, you know, if it's hard, you know, someone else will do it. Doesn't tend to the issues that they should in their life. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard. He's saying, it's time to break your cycle and pattern of inaction. Instead of Finding excuses for your condition and your circumstances, I want you to spend some time investing in others who've become successful. And out of all of 
uh, creation, God selected the end. And then he says this, O sluggard, consider your ways. Sometimes it's not what you're doing, it's the way you're doing what you're doing. But he says, watch this, consider your what? Or her, her ways. In other words, use your brain for more than a coat rack. I want you to start paying attention to people that are successful so you can learn how to get out of the mess that you're in. Consider her ways and be what? Wise. Sometimes the solution to your problem is not something big. It's not something gigantic. It's not, you know, some huge thing you have to do to fix your life. It's often the small adjustments that we make that's the difference between success and failure. In fact, one of the greatest, you know, at least in the 60s, this was the greatest thing man had ever done. Our first man trip to the moon. I want to read some comments made by some folks that were involved. I'm going to read it, and you'll also see it on your screen. If you're live streaming, hopefully it will come up on your screen as well. Apollo 8, the first manned mission to land on the moon, was almost scrapped because the engineers could not solve the problem of keeping the rockets on course. In fact, they could do no better than keeping it on course 20% of the time. The best scientific minds in the world at this time worked on this problem and could not develop a way to maintain an accurate trajectory. And when you're trying to land a person on the moon for the first time in history, being off course 80% of the time is not a comfortable idea. Does anyone in this room agree? The breakthrough, though, came when the NASA engineers changed the way they looked at the problem. The issue was not their intelligence. The issue was their mentality. I do not question anyone's intelligence in this room, but God does have a lot to say with our mentality. A fool is not someone with a low IQ. It's a person with a wrong mentality, someone who doesn't think things through. I have my children. They're very smart kids, but sometimes they just don't use what the good Lord gave me. Why did you do that? I don't know how many of y'all have kids like that. It has nothing to do with IQ. In their case, it's immaturity. In our case, it's uh, mentality. <laughs> but anyway, the breakthrough came when they changed the way they looked at things. And instead of trying to stay on course all the time, they focused on developing superior measurement technology that allowed them to make constant small course corrections. End result, Apollo 8 was off course 80% of the time. How many of y'all feel like your life's that way? I, I, I felt like that. But watch this. But because they were willing to make adjustments and small adjustments at that, they hit their target within 12 feet on their first attempt to put a man on the moon. It's the small things over the long haul that make the difference between our success and our failure. Back to Proverbs 6 and 7. We're still talking about this ant, this famed ant, this ant that God wants each of us to look at. Watch how the Holy Spirit begins this next sentence. Without. Anybody in here ever been without? A lot of times when we're without, we just sit on our hands and fall apart and give up. But not the ant. It says, without what? Having. This ant did not have the advantages. We're going to discover that 
Uh, she, she didn't have anyone looking over her shoulder, no cheerleaders, no, no, nobody directing. Nobody was really helping this aunt do what this aunt needed to do. But this aunt's about to get it done. So the, the million-dollar question in this room is, so what is your excuse? If this aunt without, with a brain smaller than a Tic Tac, could still have a successful life, why can't you and I? Without having any chief officer, ruler, she prepares. You notice the she there? Yeah, Bible critics often call the scriptures sexist. But I'm convinced the only reason they say that is because they've only read books about the Bible but have never really studied the Bible itself. Wisdom, which the Bible calls in the King James Version the principal thing, Wisdom is the thing that Scripture says you need to sell everything you have in order to obtain it and to get it. It says, above all, you know, you need to get wisdom and understanding. This thing that actually, you remember Solomon when, when he was dedicating the temple? The Lord appeared to him in a dream or a vision, and he said, what, what do you want, Solomon? Solomon thought about it, and he asked, he said, Lord, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to handle this. I'm not like my daddy, David. What I need is wisdom. And then it was like all of heaven began to applaud. And God said, I'm pleased. I'm, I'm so glad because, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, the typical man would say, I want the head of my enemies. But Solomon, you didn't ask for your enemies. If we didn't ask for the head of our enemies, the next thing we got to ask is, Lord, give me some money. Solomon didn't ask for money, but he asked for the thing that would get him money. And because Solomon asked for the right thing, he became one of the richest men in world history. In fact, they said they made silver like a dunghill in, in Israel. Now, y'all know the, the value of silver today. That's significant, meaning they had so much wealth in that nation that, you know, silver was just, you know, a marginal thing. Solomon asked for the principal thing, wisdom. And wisdom changed the world. And again, when it comes to wisdom, she's a woman. So, ladies, I'd like you to nudge the guy next to you and say, I always knew I had it going on. <laughs> Men, the reason sometimes we make some of the stupid choices we make is because we've not consulted with wisdom, and often we married her. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> wisdom always in the Bible is a woman. So people argue, it's sexist to call God father. Well, sexist to call wisdom woman. That's silly. God knows what he's doing and knows what he's saying. Amen. Without any chief officer or ruler, she, speaking of the ant, prepares this remarkable little creature. Says, I may not be big, but I can be prepared. You may not have a whole lot, but you can be ready. Proverbs 13 and 11, another right turn. This is a little passage in an obscure book of the Bible that literally revolutionized my life and is one of the reasons why I am where I am today. Proverbs 13 and 11. Again, the ant says, I'm not big, but I can be prepared. And all success is is simply when preparation and opportunity meet. If you have a great opportunity to, 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 to sing, let's say you, you make it on The Voice or, or uh, America's Got Talent or The American Idol, 
but you've never learned a song. Even though you have all this ability, if you are not prepared when opportunity comes, you're in trouble. Does that make sense? So people call it chance, but it's really opportunity and preparation, having a meeting, and out of that meeting comes the success that each of us experience. But let's, again, look at Proverbs 13 and verse 11. This is very, very important. He says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Does this explain some of the lotto winners? How do you win, you know, $6 million and you're absolutely broke five years later? Scripture says, wealth gained hastily will what? Dwindle. Avoid all get-rich-quick schemes. Instead of waiting for your big break, you got to learn to take advantage of the small opportunities. You see, what happened with the big lotto winner is that they, they got a great blessing, but they weren't prepared for it. They didn't learn with little how to handle little, and because they didn't learn how to handle little, in fact, the reason they were playing lotto, because they weren't handling little right. So when much came, they were way out of their league. But watch this. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The way you handle little, not a lot, the way you handle a little will determine whether or not you will ever have a lot. The secret to more is learning what to do with less. Learning how to handle little are the training wheels that present you to learn how to handle a lot. But you have to first learn to ride with training wheels before God can let you loose lest you hurt yourself. Did you hear me? He's trying to protect you because if you get it, you will ruin it and ruin yourself. So this is what Jesus said. He said, if you're faithful with little, then I'll make you faithful with what? Much. But don't start talking about much till you what? Mastered little. When my family was receiving tax credits because my, my income was beneath the poverty level in ministry, this scripture absolutely changed my mind. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.